Good evening, good evening, good evening, Baltimore. Welcome to Man in the Mirror with your host, Hezekiah L. Montgomery, and co-host, Nichelle Johnson. Tonight, we have a special guest, Pastor Bill Jenkins, pastor of the Church of Acts in Indianapolis, Indiana. Yes, you heard me. We have our first guest all the way from Indianapolis. Pastor Jenkins is bringing up the rear of our Men of Stature Month. Um, I did some research on him, and, you know, he is a great man. He's a man that's for men, a man for people, and a man that's on fire for God as a prophet as well. But as always, we're planning on having a great interview tonight. Uh, but as always, let's have, start off with prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we just bow down as humble servants. Lord, thank you, Lord, for our lying down last night. Lord, thank you, Lord, for uprising to a day we've never seen before, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to go on that cross and die for our sins, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of man in the mirror, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all I guess we've had for these men of stature month, these great men of God that you have put out there to declare your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've done in their lives and that that they do their due diligence to keep going and keep the word of God going. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've done in their life and continue to bless them in a mighty way, Lord. We will never fail to give you all glory, honor, and praise. We ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. And first, we want to actually also welcome Pastor Jenkins to Man of the Mirror. Welcome, Pastor Jenkins. Well, thank you so much. Great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to a great program. Thank you. And as always, um, before we get started, if you have a question or a comment, please press the number one on your phone, and you'll be put in our queue. And a little about this great man of God. Pastor Bill Jenkins is the founder and senior pastor of, of the Church of Acts, as well as a television and radio host, rapidly becoming known as an apostle of God and prophetic voice. He works to release a message of hope in our world. With deep spiritual revelations and insight from God's word, Pastor Bill's taken the toughest passages of Scripture and explains them in a practical and interesting way. He is a go-to guy when it comes to understanding biblical numbers and this scriptural significance. A devoted husband and father, his passion is for others to become successful as they apply the principles of Christ. Jenkins is a seasoned prophet whom God is raising up in the last of the last days to tear down a devil's stronghold and to bring hope to the hopeless. As a 17-year-old with a strong passion for baseball, Bill Jenkins had the opportunity, had an opportunity to sign a professional contract, but it was only three days before his 18th birthday when Jenkins had an encounter with God, which completely changed his life and future. And with that said, we're going to just go right into this interview. And my first question is that, okay, now, being your, you know, the pastor now of the Church of Acts, and if you were today, if a 17-year-old had a chance to sign professional baseball, what do you think would happen to that person? 
Wow. Well, I mean, uh, you know, back uh, many years ago, you know, when that happened to me, I, I just had such an encounter with God that it, it just changed my life. You know, my father had owned a bar in Chicago. He was an alcoholic for 15 years. It was something that he really worked with me to sort of achieve. And when I finally got there, I, you know, and had that opportunity, I really was so uh you know, caught up in what the Lord did in my heart, you know, my father was like, well, can't you do both? And and I couldn't, you know, when I do something, I have to do it all the way or not do it at all. And, and, and so my passion was for the Lord. Everything else in my life didn't matter. Um, it didn't matter what I'd been, you know, uh, prepared for by my natural father. I think my spiritual father had something prepared for me that was greater. And so, uh, you know, I don't regret what I've done. Uh, you know, I still love baseball, still coach my kids, uh, sports teams, but uh, I'm thankful that I gave my life to the Lord and I chose the path that I did. And, you know, I've never really looked back. I always look forward, put my hand to the plow, do what I can to try to build the kingdom of God and make a difference in this world. Amen. 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 And it's kind of interesting because young people today, if a young 17-year-old had that opportunity and they didn't have that encounter with God or didn't know God, and they probably would have went that route that you went, you know, because we hear all today with the young basketball stars, baseball stars, football stars, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're in it to go out and make the money. But you chose a different path because it wasn't about the money to you. Because I'm sure, you know, as, as you said, at 17, that would have been a lot of money at that time. But you chose, yeah, I mean, and uh, when I read yeah. that, yeah, it was, it was all about the call that God had put on my life. That's what mattered more was not, you know, any kind of money that I could make or the potential amount of money I could make. It was just about the commitment that, you know, I had made to the Lord once he came in my heart, changed my life. It just it radically changed me, and that was really all that mattered. So are you saying that at the age of 17, that's when you gave your life to Christ, or was it? Was it prior to that, but then you just got a stronger calling at the age of 17? <laughs> well, it's a funny story. You know, I gave uh, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 13, but the Lord really spoke to me too much. It kind of scared me, and so I backslid, and I got involved in some things that I shouldn't have got involved in because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how to process all this stuff, you know. Um, I wasn't raised in church. I was raised in a bar. And I was raised, uh, you know, by an alcoholic, so I had no idea. Here, God speaking to me, and it just scared me up one side, down the other. So I figured the best thing I could do back then was go ahead and backslide. <laughs> and uh, I got messed up, you know. And uh, but I never really, you know, that that was always there, you know. Even though I sort of left the Lord, the good news was He never left me, and I I knew there was something that was there. And uh, just right before my 18th birthday, you know, I had an encounter with the Lord that, you know, really caused me to sort of, you know, say, hey, you know, I need to yield to this even though I don't understand everything going on. Okay. Okay. Was it almost like a Paul experience similar to that? Yeah, it was a, I had a bad experience with a worldly situation. And, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, you, you, you don't look up until you hit the bottom, you know. And so, uh, you know, that sort <laughs> yeah. of happened. And, um, you know, uh, it was just a situation where, you know, I had known the Lord. I'd known about the Lord, but I didn't really know the Lord. And um, it was just one of those things, you know, where the Lord just grabbed a hold of my heart one day. And, and it was just like I knew what I needed to do. I, I really knew what I needed to do since I was – 
13, but like I said, I was so scared. I didn't really understand it. Didn't have anybody to explain or teach me or tell me. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I uh, sort of brushed it off. But I knew the Lord was with me all the time. There should have been times when, you know, I was killed doing some things out there in the world, but God spared my life. He kept me alive. And uh, thankfully, you know, I yielded to him, uh, you know, and gave my life to him. Amen. Excellent. So, Amen. So, Pastor Jenkins, I guess what would you, uh, for our listening audience, because we have definitely some some parents listening, but we get some young listeners as well sometimes. So, I guess what advice or, or what would you say to a young person who's going through that? Because as you said, you didn't have anybody who you know, you could really, or you felt like you could really talk to about it. So do you have any advice or or any words of wisdom to young people who may be feeling that call? Well, it's it's so hard, you know. Uh, I have three boys. I didn't know uh, how to be a father, you know. Uh, I'm still learning to be a father myself, but that's my number one thing in life. You know, even though I'm a pastor, you know, um, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father first. And uh, I don't believe that I have the right to ask anybody to follow me if I can't lead my wife and my family, my boys first. And so, you know, they're, they're, they got a lot better off. You know, uh, you know, I've already succeeded in making sure my kids have it much better than, than I had it. You know, uh, just because my dad, you know, I'm in their lives. I'm a part of their daily life. I coach their teams. I take them to school. I make them breakfast every day. I pray for them. You know, I try to lead them in the right way. But there's a lot of people out there that don't have that. So, you know, we try to be a mentor to other kids who don't have, you know, the fortunate, you know, uh, ability that my kids have by reaching out to them. We have different activities, whether it be clubs. Oh, we start around the city in Indianapolis where there's foosball, ping pong, air hockey, movie room, weight room, full court gym for them to come to, um, to get them off the streets, to give them a good environment, a safe environment with adult supervision. And if they want to ask questions, if they want to become knowledgeable, you know, then that opportunity is provided for them to be able to do that. But I think we have to be more of a mentor. I think just like the Bible says, you know, the older women need to teach the younger women. The older men need to teach the younger men. You know, uh, it doesn't take much, you know, and I don't want to get controversial here from the beginning, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> we can see a lot of what's going on just by what these kids are wearing, you know, what they're wearing or the lack of what they're wearing, you know, what they're doing, what they're involved in. We can see right off the bat they don't have a lot of adult supervision in their life. And so we've got to, as adults, as Christian adults, we've got to be there to be mentors, to train, to teach them, to sort of guide them, answer their questions, help them along the way so that they can avoid some of the things that maybe we, you know, went through and faced in our life and our past. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, the the I guess everybody, you know, with this it takes a village thing, everyone really does need to be involved. And that's the the way I kind of feel, too. I feel like it really does take a village. It shouldn't just be your parents. It should be your teachers, the the adults in the neighborhood, the the adults at the local church or community center or whatever that are taking a a, um, interest in making sure our youth 
um, have an outlet, number one. That's why I really like what you were saying about the activities that you offer um, the, the youth because they come in. I feel like the activities is something that brings them in and also makes them feel like they're part of something. But then while they're there, you know, you can also, you know, mentor them spiritually as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we use some of those things as nothing more than bait to get them off the street, get them in a good environment so that we can teach them. You know, uh, uh, you know that's really our hearts. We want to, you know, we know that, you know, if we say, hey, come to a Bible study, you know, they're not going to come. <laughs> all kinds of fun activities, they'll come, and then we'll take a time to teach them the word, to train them. And it's amazing how much success we can have when, you know, we open up that door for them to enjoy themselves and do something fun, how it can open themselves up spiritually to receiving from us as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and I will um, agree to that because that's the, I'm from Philadelphia, you know, moved to Baltimore 15 years ago, but that's the way I was raised. They They tricked me too, you know, started having fun, you know, you know, going out to playing basketball and stuff like that, and then they started having Bible study. That way, you know, like you said, you have something as commonology, and then yeah. you say, okay, let's sit down and you know have you know have boys club. They had girls club too, because with so much going on, and we're going to touch on that um, as well. With so much going on in the cities as well, right now, you need something that's going to keep them off the streets. Unfortunately, Baltimore, you know, they started closing down some of the community centers, so that's out. So to me right now, it's going to be up to the churches because you do, do exactly what you're doing. You know, let's find some common ground and get these young people together because the cities are under, to me, under siege right now. And I, and I, and I always talk to Michelle about it and say, okay, that's nothing but the devil. When you hear things that are going on, you know Satan is busy. busy. He's rampant. He's roaring out there. He's trying to take our kids um, left and right. So we need something that's going to keep them like a safe haven. And I applaud you for what you're, you, you and your church are doing because it's needed. You know, regardless of what people say, around the country is needed. You're not asking people for money. I mean, you guys are, you know, putting it together yourself because what's happening now, they say, well, we don't have money for the rec centers. We don't have money for this. We don't have money for that. Okay. And you basically said, we don't need your money. We're going to take care of it. God will provide. And right. basically that's what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, we just feel like if something is God's will, it's God's will. You know, if God guides us somewhere, he's going to provide for us. And so, you know, the Lord has been good to us, and, uh, you know, our heart is just to minister to people, young and old, male and female, doesn't matter who they are, where they come from. You know, we got to get away from this mentality that, you know, uh, y- you know that we've, we've sort of had for years, you know, uh, and we've got to change the way we approach things, change the way we look at things. We can't ram, you know, the Word of God down their, you know, throats. We can't try to scare them out of... Uh, hell, we need. We know. I tell, I tell people, don't scare the hell out of them. Love the hell out of them. You know, and so if we can learn how to love the hell out of people. I think we can. I love that. From the inside out. Yeah. Right. I like when I read your bio. 
It says that um, Pastor Bill Jenkins has worked with Indianapolis city officials, including the mayor, in effort to reduce the crime. Let's touch a little bit about that because, you know, you're in Indianapolis, we're in Baltimore, so and the crime is rampant. So, you know, what did you do to help? Well, one of the first things we did was we had a large crusade at the Banker's Life Fieldhouse where the Indianapolis Pacers play. And uh, what we did was we called everybody in the city together, every pastor, every leader. We said, if you're really sick of crime, if you're sick of this stuff influencing our city, then let's join together and let's, first of all, have a prayer meeting. And so we gathered thousands of people together. I went to the people at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. They gave us uh, the field house for free. We put thousands of people in there. We begin to, you know, raise our voice and uh, become noticed in the community. And we went and worked with the mayor. And, uh, you know, as a result of that, the mayor saw the success that we were having. And and the mayor at the time, now they just switched mayors, Mayor uh, but Mayor Ballard, uh, he was the mayor for eight years. He decided to resign, got a new mayor in Indianapolis now, but he was the mayor for eight years. Now, one of the great things that he did was he believed in what we did so much that he set aside $5 million in the city budget. So that means that, you know, as people paid their tax dollars, $5 million of that was set aside. We would help to facilitate that and pass that money on to 63 different nonprofit organizations in the city to help reduce crime and we believe release Christ into the atmosphere of our city. And so, you know, uh, when you have a mayor who's willing to work with the church community, put confidence in what we're doing as they see the results and the benefits of what's going on, um, you know, when you have politicians and prophets working together, I think, you know, you can have a great impact on that community. The problem is, you know, we have too many politicians in our pulpits anymore and um you know we don't need politicians in the pulpit i'm not really mad at politicians but i don't want a politician to be in the pulpit i still want the prophet to be in the pulpit and i want us working together with people that we can uh, sort of you know be the salt and light in that community make a difference and lead the way to uh you know uh, change our cities i think if our cities have ever needed change we need it now if our world has ever needed change, we need it now. And uh, we got to learn how to work together. We got to learn how not to look for the applause of man. We got to learn how to look for the approval of God. And so that's what we try to do is work with the mayor, work with the police chief, work with anybody who wants to work with us to let them know that we are sincere in our efforts to reduce crime and also in the midst of that release Christ. Amen. I actually have a uh, a question because I, I don't know if you um, followed or whatever, but you know we had the the riots here about a year ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess at that point, what I was noticing, which I thought it was a a, a, a good effort or whatever, but the the religious community kind of came out and banded together and did a march through the street. And although I thought that that was a good thing and maybe it calmed some of of the activity down, that's probably the most that we have seen 
you know, the members from the religious communities or the the, the um, churches in the area all actually working and together and, and out noticeably doing something. So it kind of made me, I, I'm listening to you, and I'm like, so this thing that you're doing, it's, it's a this is a daily thing. This is, you know, initiatives and things that you all are working on on a daily basis, hand-in-hand hand with, with um, the politicians and the um, city officials. So I guess I, I kind of am interested in what kind of initiatives you all are doing because we I don't think we have much of that going on, not where they're all working together here. That was like a symbolic show. But it actually is going to take, like, work in the trenches and a daily thing to make any change, any real change. So I'm kind of interested in what kind of initiatives or what are you you all actually doing in the community? Well, I mean, you know, everything from having 10,000-pound food giveaways, which if you want to know what 10,000 pounds of food looks like, it's a semi-truckload of food. We'll give that away totally free. We have hundreds of people Jesus. in cars waiting to come. And when they come in, we, we fill up their cars full of fresh food, vegetables, meats, uh, canned items. I'm talking about good quality stuff. We also, uh, on Tuesday nights, we go out and we minister to our homeless community. We reach out to the uh, veterans uh, you know, of our city when, you know, they come back from fighting, defending our rights in foreign countries, too many times they get forgotten. So we want to help them and we want to minister to them. Another great thing we do is, um, you know, we, we've worked with our city to establish, you know, what we call the first day out program. And that is a, a ministry where when these prisoners go uh, to jail and then when they're released on their first day out, we want to make sure they have a place to stay. We want to make sure they have a mentor, they have a church, they have a job, they have some connections. All of these things are important. You know, the recidivism rate, no matter where you are in America, is ridiculous. And it's because when they get out, no one wants to mentor them. No one wants to help them. And here's the thing. You know, we look our, we look our noses down at people who are in jail. But the bottom line is, if I was called for some of the things that I did, I'd be in jail right now, too. So a lot, of, a lot of times, it, you know, the difference between us and them in jail is that they got caught and we didn't. And um, we need Amen. to develop programs when these prisoners get out of jail, reacclimate them to society, connect them to a church, find them a mentor, get them a job, have them a place to stay. I'm, I'm amazed at how many people, when they get out of jail, they don't have a solid place to stay. They don't have a job. You know, if you commit a crime, you commit a felony, it's hard to get a job out there. Well, you know, we're almost forcing people back to the streets into a life of crime because we're unwilling to, you know, partner with some businesses and say, listen, we want to give these people a second chance. You know, we're going to fail on some cases, but we're going to fail with good people who haven't been in jail either. So we've got to be willing to take some risk. We've got to be willing to get involved. We've got to be willing to connect. We've got to be willing to think outside the box, and we've got to go where the need is at. And uh, we can sit here and, you know, uh, all day long talk about, you know, doing marches and doing little things, and that's a great start. But we've got to put our hand to the plow and make sure we doing, we're doing something every day to make a difference, impact people's lives, and to touch them where they're at. And whether they're getting out of prison, uh, you know, whether, you know, they're young people that we want to keep out of jail, 
or whether it's veterans or feeding the hungry, we need to be doing something to be busy about the Father's business, making a difference in our world, I believe, on a daily basis. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you for that because you you actually touched a lot of areas, and, and those are um, what, what the city calls the most vulnerable people. And those are the people that, end up, you know, perpetrating some of the, you know, some of the crime. We have the, you know, the gangs and things like that, but then, you know, um, a lot of times it's people who are just in in, uh, in need. They lack and they use crime as a way to get what they need. And then people who are homeless, they end up doing petty crimes as well. Um so I'm, I'm just interested because I, I just mentioned, like, about the gangs, and I don't know if you all, when, when you know, I was looking at, it like, Indiana, I was like, I don't know if they have a gang problem in Indiana. <laughs> Indiana. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. The gang problem is is rising in Indianapolis. Uh, some of the gangs from Chicago coming down, establishing territory, and trying to gain some footage down there. But, you know, uh, I've even met with gang leaders. I met with 37 different gang leaders and, um, you know, uh, talked to them about getting a peace treaty within our city. I actually talked to them about finding jobs and then offered them the ability and everyone in their gangs. I mean, we had judges. We had, you know, politicians, uh, all of these things in a closed setting, in a secret meeting, um, we gathered all these leaders together, these gang leaders, and we offered them, uh, we offered to pay their way to summer camp so and, and get them summer jobs so they could go to camp for the summer, they could get a summer job, stay off the streets, and find out that there was a better way. Those are the kind of things we got to be willing to commit to if we're really going to make a true difference. We can't, you know, just sort of paint the you know, paint everything up. The paint's going to wear off. We got to make internal change, and uh, we got to make a difference. And you know, you tell somebody in a gang, you tell somebody, you know, who's out there doing something, profiting from doing wrong, why they should go out there and work at a Burger King for minimum wage. Uh, well, that's kind of hard to do. But you know, we got to let them know that if you do the right thing, you could go from flipping burgers to owning that Burger King. And so that's what our heart is, to teach them how to be entrepreneurs, teach them how to run a business, teach them how to do some things so that, you know, they don't have to be, you know, the ones making the minimum wage. They can be the ones running the business. And so these are the kind of training that we need to teach our kids, teach our young people now so that, you know, we don't deal with these problems. These problems are going to keep happening until we're willing to make the kind of investment necessary to bring about true change. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. I love what I'm hearing right now because everything you're saying is 100% correct. That is something that we need across the country, not just in Indianapolis. And I love what you guys are doing. You know, because you're saying you're, you know, you're saying there's no cost. I mean, you're you're just taking initiative. We need to do this. You know, fear. No, you're not worried about the gangs. You go out there in the name of Jesus and do what you got to do. Because you know, a lot of people today are like, okay, we need, you know, a lot of, a lot of churches aren't ready to do that. You know, I can see some talking about it, 
but it's a difference going out there and say, okay, we're going to meet, we're going to make this work. Um, but again, you guys are listening live with Man in the Mirror with your host Hezekiah Montgomery and co-host Michelle Johnson. Um, we are at a halfway mark, Pastor. We're going to take a brief moment break, and then we'll be back. We are you're listening live with Pastor Bill Jenkins of the Church of Acts in Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, this is a great interview. You can call in at nine one seven eight eight nine two two seven one. Again, that's nine one seven eight eight nine two two seven one, or log in at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash man dash and dash the mirror. Pastor, we're going to take a brief uh, break, um, but before we go on, a couple words from our supporters. Music Instructions for Our Learners, Inc., where music knows no age. If you're interested in music instruction, such as piano lessons and Instrumental lessons, please contact us at 888-501-8650, extension 778, to get an appointment to talk to our instructors. And please visit visit us on our new and improved website at www.mifalinc.org. That's www.mifalinc.org. And we are also running a fundraiser right now. We're raising a fundraiser, a GoFundMe, a four hundred dollars to pay for our nonprofit status. We just need a, uh, we just need a few more people just to um, log in, check it out, and help us out. Um, and you can go to www.gofund.me.com forward slash Mefile Inc. And we're taking any donations from five dollars to a hundred dollars. Thank you. Another sponsor is Curvy Boss Project. Curvy Boss Project was created to empower, inspire, motivate, and change the lives of full-figured women. Curvy chicks are boss chicks, too, not to mention beautiful, intelligent, and talented. Please check them out on Facebook at Curvy Boss Project and their website at www.curvyboss.com. And, Michelle, do you have anything more to say about Curvy Boss? Yes, Curvy Boss. Boss Project is still conducting their uh, GoFundMe uh, fundraising as well. Um, and also um, they have a few events coming up to catch all the events coming up and to support Curvy Boss, um, especially in our mentorship program for young women that uh, we are beginning in the fall you can go to www.curvyboss.com sorry, and uh, you can look that up. Excellent. Um, we will take a break, um, and this is a special song going out. Just remember that we are, are something beautiful. Bye. 
We're back live with Man in the Mirror with your host, Hezekiah L. Montgomery, and co-hosting the show, Johnson. We are having a fantastic live interview with Pastor Bill Jenkins of the Church of Acts. And yes, 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 you heard it, Indianapolis, Indiana, all the way. And there's a lot of distance between Baltimore and Indianapolis. I don't know how much, but I know it's there. But we are having a beautiful we are having a beautiful interview, and I'm just having a great time talking to this wonderful man of God. And, again, if you want to call in and talk to him, you can call in at 917. 917, I'm sorry, 889-2271. That's 917 889-2271. And log in at www.blogtalkradio.com/man-in-the-mirror. And, Pastor, we're having um, a great talk with you, and I have a question. You know, I talked to you earlier about this before we came on. Just talk a little bit because, you know, I heard one of your sermons so people can understand. Uh, listening always can, you know, give us a little bit about one of your sermons that you actually talked about, and it was called Unfulfilled Vows. Just touch a little bit about that. Yeah, it was uh... – the message was actually 10 hindrances to your harvest and unfulfilled vows was one of the things that hinder your harvest. And so if you find that, you know, your harvest isn't being fulfilled or your promises aren't coming to pass, there were 10 different things I told you to look at, make sure you, you know, got those things in order, corrected them if necessary in order to release your harvest in your life. And so unfulfilled vows is important thing because too many times we make the commitment, we say something with our mouth, but then we don't back it up with our actions. And the Bible tells us that it's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. You know, there's a curse that we bring on ourselves. You know, something gets stifled in our lives when we uh, make promises, but we don't put the effort in to fulfill it. You know, we got to learn how to think before we speak. We can't just go out there and try to impress people with our words or make them feel better and, you know, make promises that we don't fill in our lives because when we do, it can stop the flow of God. It can cause our harvest to be hindered from coming to pass. And so, you know, I always encourage people, when you make a vow, make sure that you think about it. You count the cost. You're willing to make whatever sacrifice necessary to fulfill that vow or don't make the vow to begin with because if you make a vow and don't fulfill it, you could be bringing a curse on your life and hindering God's very best for you. Mm. Wow. That, that, hit, that, that hits home. You might as well drop the mic on that one because it's like, okay. <laughs> you, know, we, you, know, you know, we say these things every day. You know, I'm not going through this one. I'm not going through it. Lord, you know, you know you're a pastor. You hear it every day. Lord, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. If you like, you know, it's almost like a wish list. If I, you know, if I stopped on this, can you, you know, you know, make this happen in my life? But you're right. We have to be careful of what we say, because we, yeah, we say it with good intentions, but, you know, it can't be good intentions. It has to be something that you say truly that, you know, if I say it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow through. And I find that that follow through is the hardest thing for many people today. You know, they say something, 
And that's one of my pet peeves. If you start something, I want you to finish it. If you, if I start something, I have to finish it. So many times, and that's something that we're not teaching our younger generation. They may say something, next thing you know, they don't finish it. Or, you know, we let them go with not, you know, sticking to their word. Aha, uh-huh. look like we lost Pastor, but I know he'll be back in. Um, yeah. Oh, there he is. There he <laughs> is. Yeah, he's... He's quick on the draw. Welcome back, Pastor. I said you're quick on the draw. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Oh, that, that's fine. We know it happens. But um, like I was saying that um, we have to be careful. And I'm a person that if I start something, I have to finish it. But we don't teach our children that these days. We don't teach the younger generation that if you say something, if you say you're going to do something, you got to do it or stick to it. Because it's that I yeah. call it stick to itiveness. If you call, want to make that a stick to itiveness, if you're going to say it, you got to do it. What, what are your um, What do you think about that, Pastor? Oh, I, I think you couldn't be more right. You know, that's why we're setting people up for failure because we let them start things, and then if it gets too hard, then we let them quit. You know, when my kids want to do something, you know, my kids are involved in basketball, baseball, you know, gymnastics, karate, whatever it may be. If you're going to start it, you're going to finish it. So if you don't get your way or you don't like something, you have a bad day or whatever it may be, too bad. You're going to go. You're going to finish your commitment. You're not going to break your word. You know, uh, the Bible said that when you make vows, it's going to cost you something. So anytime you make a vow, um, it's going to cost you something. Sometimes it's going to cost you more uh, than what you initially thought. That's why you got to consider the cost before you make vows. And then uh, sometimes you're going to be wondering, you know, what do I, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to have to make this much sacrifice, but you've got to be willing to finish and fulfill those vows. If you want to keep the flow of God going in your life, then if you're going to make a vow, you know, uh, then finish that vow, you know, even in marriage, you know, there might be some biblical reasons and grounds for divorce, but the bottom line is, even if there is, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, marriages are not for uh, happiness. I talk to people all the time. I've been married almost 15 years. I've counseled people, uh, you know, for almost 30 years when it comes to marriage. And I tell them, marriage is not for happiness. And if you think it is, then you're wrong. And you don't even get married because you love somebody. Love is very minor when it comes to getting married to somebody. It's about the call of God. It's about feeling that God put you together. Because there's going to be times when you do not feel the love that you feel when you initially first meet them. But the call of God is what's going to keep you. And if you have that call, then you're going, to, you're going to remember those vows. You're going to keep those vows. You're going to press on. And we have developed a society of quitters. You know, when they get something gets tough, when something isn't easy, when it isn't fun anymore, we just quit and give up. And that's a bunch of baloney as far as I'm concerned because we have to teach our kids to fight through and never allow feelings to, you know, dictate what we're going to do. Because here's the thing, feelings were never meant to lead. If, if, if your listeners don't get anything out of what I say tonight, I hope they get this. Feelings were never meant to lead. They were always designed to follow. Now, if you feel like doing something, it usually gets done faster, quicker, and better than if you didn't feel like it. Here's the thing. Feelings weren't meant to lead. Feelings were meant to follow. So if you don't feel like doing something, it doesn't mean you don't do it. It means you do it, and then good feelings will come. I don't always feel like forgiving. I don't always feel like loving. I don't always feel like doing something. But when I do the right thing, good feelings come. So don't wait till you get the feeling to do it. Do it, and then you get the good feelings. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, I like what you said because you, even as a pastor, don't always feel like doing something. You don't always like forgiving or loving. That makes you human. A lot of people, you know, think pastors are Superman. They up on a pulpit and they're, you know, got your little cape on and they're preaching and they live a perfect and, you know, nothing goes wrong in a pastor's life. But, um, right, and I'll be honest with you, I probably deal with more negative emotions than the average person who goes to church. You know, there's, there's times I've got to be, you know, happy because some something good has happened in something somebody's life and then i got to be down i got to be sad i got to grieve with them because they just lost somebody in their life and so man you have an emotional roller coaster when you're in ministry that you got to learn how to balance and work through and allow god to really do a work in your heart and so you know uh it's so important that we never allow those feelings to dictate and to lead that we do the right things and then understand Good feelings will follow good acts of obedience. Amen, amen. And I'm gonna back up a little bit because you touched on um, the, the divorce. Now, my question is, and from a pastor's viewpoint, why is this the divorce rate so high in the Christian church? Well, you you mention it because when things get tough, when things don't go smooth, you know, uh, we quit. We've raised a generation of quitters. We've let them quit our sports teams. We've let them quit churches. Our kids have seen us, you know, be church hoppers. Our kids have seen us, you know, uh, be inconsistent in our behavior. And you know what? All they're doing is behaving like what they've seen us do. So we have to be better examples of what true commitment is all about in our home if we're going to pass that down to, to our kids and it's going to spread into our society. And so, you know, when marriage, you know, people get into marriage, they think it's about happiness. Marriage is not about happiness. They don't get premarital counseling. You know, they have some false image of what marriage is like. Marriage is for holy. Marriage will make you holy. It may not make you happy, but it will make you holy. You got to compromise. You got to yield to the Lord. I mean, marriage will put it on you, you know. <laughs> and so you got to be careful, you know, thinking that, you know, you're going to get married and everything's going to be wonderful and happy. It isn't. Marriage is great. Trust me, it can be awesome. But it ain't for happiness, it's for holiness. God will make you, God will put it on you when, you know, you've got to start to outserve your spouse. You know, when I, the night before I got married, I thought I was getting married for my wife to do everything for me. And then the Lord pulled a trick on me the night before I got married. And he said, I want you to outserve your spouse. I want you to do something every day to bless her. And I thought, wait a minute, you should have put this on me months ago, you know. You can't do this to me the night before I get married. But it's the key to a good marriage is out-serving, not just serving your spouse, out-serving. Do something to bless your spouse. We spend time with people trying to get ahead every day, and it isn't working for us. We've got to spend time with our wives, with our families, with our children, make the investment of time. Children fail love, T-I-M-E. You don't spend time with them, they don't think you love them. So you've got to be willing to, you know, understand all of those things. If you're going to make marriage work, hang out with some couples, do some fun things, 
you know, make marriage a blast, have a date night every, every week, you know, do something where you're uh, investing in that relationship because whatever you feed will grow, whatever you starve will die. If you don't feed your marriage, it is not going to grow. You can't wish it to be better. You can't just pray it into existence. You're going to have to truly make an effort and feed that marriage on good things if you want that marriage to bring about good rewards. Amen. That That's some really excellent advice, and I love it. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was about serving, and, you know, that I, I really believe that that is, one of the biggest things that we're all missing as a whole is service because everybody is, um, and I, I'm saying everybody to be general, but I don't mean every single person, but the majority of people are kind of in this me, me, me mode, and it's like all about them, and if they're not happy, then nobody else can be happy, and, you know, that sort right. of thing. Is, it's a lot of um Really, is selfishness, and and we know from the Word of God that's that that's the the least thing we should be is selfish, and it's all yeah. and it should be about service, and it's not only you know you were talking about the children, and I had said that you know um uh, uh I was giving a testimony this was a um a while ago but I was saying I was blessed to serve my kids. And so I, I don't think people look at it like that. Um, and, and so I just think this world would just be a better place if everyone was servant. And our big, biggest example of that was Christ. Yes. Because he served the people. And so yeah, I, I just think it's a really big thing. Yeah, and, and you know, one thing I do, I, I make breakfast for my kids every morning. I spend time with them. I pray over them, take them to school, and the last thing I tell them is go make somebody's day. Go make them be glad that you're alive, that you were born, that you're living in this world. Go make somebody's day. Go be a blessing today. And so that's what needs to be our goal. We need to premeditate love, premeditate out serving. I don't like just the word serving. I want to out serve you. You know, I want to I want to give more than I get. And uh, when I have that attitude, it's amazing how many things comes to me when I have that attitude to out serve everybody else. I want to out serve my kids. I want to out serve my wife. I want to out serve everybody in my life. I want to do that, but I get a lot back. So it's you know, it's not just where I'm I'm doing 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 and I get anything in return. I get a lot back because I'm willing to make that investment to out-serve people in my life. If we have that attitude, even Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I come to serve. I come to give. I come to do. That needs to be our attitude uh, in the world that we live in today for sure. Awesome. I just want you to know that posting this right now because I think that's the quote of the evening. Well, you done taught me something, too. <laughs> you know, I like, we got to write that in there, marriage will make you holy. Never thought of it that way, but, you know, we, we have to think of it that way. Marriage will make, and, and I think if people thought of it that way, Pastor, a lot more marriages would be lasting longer, you know, because we don't have marriages that last longer these days due to the fact of that one principle. 
You know, it's a, and as um, Michelle said, it's always that me, 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 me. There's an um, ulterior motive before you get married, but you don't find out till after you get married. And that famous line comes out, I didn't get married for this. I didn't sign up for this. That's, I know right. you probably heard that many times amongst your congregants. You know, they find out, well, this is what I expected. But if we humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself and serve and want to, you know, serve our spouse, serve, you know, whomever we're with, then that will make us holy because then that, you know, what they say, you you get more bees with honey? Yes. Than vinegar? Yes. And we just have to have a whole different outlook. Yeah, it's so important, you know. Uh, you can't, you know, do bad things and expect good things in return. And so, you know, uh, that's why I love to take people through premarital counseling, take them through everything imaginable, try to talk them out of marriage if I can, um, you know, before they do it, because marriage isn't easy, and it's not about happiness. So just because you're not happy in a marriage doesn't give you a right to go get a divorce, you know, uh, you know, you have to work through things. You have to get some help. You have to, you know, date your spouse. You have to spend time. You have to listen. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do that can turn things around, but we're very good at pointing the finger. We're not so good at drawing the circle around ourselves. Mm. Wow. I truly like that one, too, um, Michelle. We're very good at pointing the finger, but we're not good at, you know, putting a circle around ourselves. And you're right. You know, we, we don't want to. What's the old saying we said when we were younger? You point a finger, you got four pointing right back at you or three. You know, we're always pointing fingers at other people, but we have yes. to look at ourselves. And um, as we're winding down, we have about a good six minutes. Um what I want you to do is just talk, you know, we, we had, let's talk, the last few minutes that we have, um, just talk about a little bit how important reading and getting into the Word of God is. Well, I tell you, I think it's the key, uh, you know, to growth. You know, uh, whatever you feed will grow, whatever you starve will die. You have to read the Word. You have to find ways to study the Word. One of the things that I've done when I released my brand-new book the new prophetic almanac is I look at numbers in the Bible. You know, uh, my new book is all is, a, is 180 pages full of inspiration, information, divine revelation. I give you people to watch, names to watch, dates to watch, movies to watch. I look at every chapter 16 in the Bible and release a prophetic word. You know, there's 66 books in the Bible. Only 27 of them have a chapter 16. I give you a specific prophetic word based upon every chapter 16 in the Bible. I look at the number 16. There's 31,102 verses in the Bible, but there's only 26 references to the number 16. I take that number 16, mm. break it into four main things that really this year ought to be our main focus. So when you see 16 in the Bible, it refers to uh, love, it refers to marriage and family, it refers to personal dominion, and it refers to a coming of age or maturity. Those are the four main things we need to be focusing in on. So I love to study the Word, and, you know, if you can find ways to, 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 to study the Word, it's going to keep you alive. It's going to keep you healthy. You know, eat the Word. Jeremiah said, eat the Word. Eat it, eat it, eat it. Get it in you. It's what's going to sustain you, keep you strong, help you grow, and give you the victory 
when, you know, you, you feel like you're going through times of crisis in your life. And so getting in the word, keeping that fire strong for the Lord is only going to happen when you read the word and you get to know who he is. Wow. That, and that that's excellent. That is excellent advice because we have to, you know, it's almost like a relationship. When you want to get to know that young lady or that young man, you want to talk to them as much as you can. But we're in such a quick society that when we it's time for us to read the word, there's always something else to do. There's always trying, you know, always trying to study. There's always something else to do. But we have to, like you said, get in that habit yeah. of reading you that word. Right, you're 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 correct, and I actually put that um, um, the information for your book in our event page, so people will have a chance to check it out. You know, it's on Amazon, so it's there. They can click on it and they can order it if they like. Um, um, any closing words, Michelle? Oh, I just have loved this show this evening. I <laughs> I loved everything that we talk about. Um, I hope that we get a lot of uh, replay viewers as well, because anybody who missed this show, this has just been an awesome show. And I thank you so much, uh, Pastor Jenkins, for um, just, you know, telling it from from your your view what God has given you. And and I thank him for what he is doing uh, in your life and the life, lives of the people that you're touching and for the important work that you're doing. Well, thank you. And and listen, I'm going to be in your guys' area, not too far from you. If you know where Silver Springs, Maryland is at, um, mm-hmm. I think it's probably about 40 minutes away from where well, you guys are at. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. July 29th and 30th, I'll be speaking at a conference called Let the Prophet Speak Co- Conference at Revelation uh, Church. So I'd love to have your audience, your listeners, you guys come out. We're going to have a great conference going on there at Silver Springs, Maryland, Revelation Church, Let the Prophets Speak Conference, July 29th and 30th of 2016. Awesome. We'll make sure to post that as well. Yep, you got that. Uh, Silver Springs, Maryland, July 29th, Revelation Church. Absolutely. And again, and I just want to thank you because I know I called you barely at the last moment because I was, you know, I was trying to get to you before and I lost information and I had to go research it in my computer. And once I got it, you know, your wife was so generous to help us connect. And I want to thank Miss Brittany for everything that she did because she she did an excellent job. And uh, and as you said, a man who has found a good wife found a good thing, and uh, you found a good thing. I got a good wife. Her name is Britton. She's great like the country. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and, again, I want to thank you. You know, I actually I enjoyed tonight's show. You know, I definitely enjoyed tonight's show because we touched on a lot of things, and the hour goes by quick when you're trying to touch on everything. So, but yes, sometimes, you know, we will definitely have to have you on again. Because you know that's the kind of you know that's the kind of sh- uh, people we are, Pastor Jenkins. You are now officially part of the Man in the Mirror family. We thank you. We like to thank all those who have been listening. Again, remember to listen as Michelle said. We listen to the replays of the show. They are on the internet forever right now. Um, if you have you know if you 
want to find any more information about Pastor Jenkins, it is in our event page. He is at the Church of Acts. Um, I actually put, they have a Indianapolis campus, and they have a California campus. So they are all over the place right now, and he's actually going to be in Maryland. So we're definitely going to make sure we get up there to get a chance to see this great man of God. And with that said, Pastor Jenkins, I definitely, again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. This is Hezekiah L. Montgomery signing off, and I'll see you at the mirror.